We are in week number five of this sermon series called Timeless as we're looking at timeless character traits of some of the heroes of the Old Testament. And today, as you know, we're talking about this guy with a funny name, Jehoshaphat. And we'll really dig into this idea of humility and where it comes from. As Pastor Zardi has been saying, we are okay when we're comfortable in the comfortable zone, but God really wants to move us sometimes out of the comfort zone into the character zone. Because in the comfort zone, we don't really change. We're just content, and that's okay. But God wants to stretch us and show us these character traits of some of these Old Testament heroes. So maybe you'll be moved from the comfort zone this morning into the character zone where it's a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit challenging but God has you growing. As you know, we're talking about this man, Jehoshaphat, funny name. Um, You're aware that for the Hebrews, for much of their history, they were split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. And both Israel and Judah from time to time had either good kings or bad kings. And Jehoshaphat was a good king of Judah. He was a good king of Judah. You won't be surprised if you know anything of the history of Israel and the Israelites that they were at war again. And this good, humble King Jehoshaphat faces this vast army and is frightened. And he comes before God in this beautiful, humble prayer that I'm about to read to you. You'll see, you'll see the words on the screen. As I read to you Jehoshaphat's prayer, pick out words of humility and lowliness in his heart. This is from Second Chronicles 20. Jehoshaphat prays, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it, to, uh, f- uh, give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out in distress and you will hear us and save us. And then this last part that I really want us to concentrate on, Jehoshaphat prays, we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do, know, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word for us this morning. Let's come together before God in prayer. Father in heaven, we are far too often concerned about what others think of us, that they want us to, we want them to think that we're richer or smarter or kinder than we really are. Please prevent us from trying to attract attention. Help us not to gloat over praise on the one hand or be discouraged by criticism on the other. Show us how to be humble of heart like you are. And this morning, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock, and my redeemer, for Christ's sake we pray. And together we all say, amen. Now, we've preached on humility in the past, and it's a good thing. And we've pulled in scripture from this part of the Bible and that to support what we're saying, and that's good. But we'll follow real closely the text this morning, the story of Jehoshaphat and what that means for us. So our first stop this morning is this. Jehoshaphat's humility came when he reached the end of himself. His humility came when he reached the end of himself. And I want to go back to that key text that we read uh, right at the uh, end of our reading this morning, Second Chronicles 20.12. He prays, God, we don't have the power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. To the end of himself. He had nothing to do. There were no options. He was desperate. There's nothing we can do. Have you ever been in a place like that? where there's absolutely nothing you can do. It really lowers you to a place of humility. That's really the whole sermon right there. We have no power to face this problem. We don't know what to do, God, but our eyes 
are on you. One of the most powerful things that we as pastors can say to people who come to us for counseling, they come to us for care ministry, they ask hard questions. I mean, it's the darkness and it's the depth of humanity often that we're faced, and they ask hard questions. And when the Bible speaks, we're happy to give a response, but where the Bible is silent, we can't just make stuff up. So they come with problems, and oftentimes we say, "I, I just don't know, but our eyes are on God, and in him lies our hope. I'll never forget the day. It was about uh, 23 years ago. I was walking in the parking lot of Marymount Hospital. I just came out of the x-ray room, and they told me, Mr. Ryan, you have a kidney stone. Yay! It hurt a lot already, and they said, oh, it's going to hurt a lot more. A lot more. There's not much we can do. Drink a lot of water. It'll flush out. And so what I knew about kidney stones is what I knew, but I knew it would hurt a lot, and I remember it vividly. Sunny day like today, I remember reaching for my door handle. It's funny how your mind grabs onto those memories. Because my prayer was this, Lord, I'm, I got a kidney stone. There's nothing I can do. I can't get through this. This is going to be awful. If you want me to get through this, you got to get me through it. And in my desperation, it's kind of a prayer of humility, right? Like, I, I'm at the end of myself. There's nothing I can do. But my eyes are on you. We, we could fill in the blank kind of like this. You fill in the blank with what you're facing. I or we. God, we have no power to face this thing. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I don't know how to face my financial mess. I don't know how to face my my health issues. God, I don't know what to do with my relationship problems. God, I'm helpless in the face of my addiction. God, I seem to have rage issues. I can't control rage when it comes over me. I, I, I don't know what to do. Lord, I'm frustrated with my employment. I don't know what to do. God, our nation doesn't seem to know what to do with. People shooting people. How do we stop it? Lord, I don't know what to do with my sin. I'm helpless in this area, but my eyes are on you. This verse shifts our perspective simply with the acknowledgement of how little we know. We think we know everything, but this phrase, this text reminds us of how little we really know. There's nothing we can do in most circumstances, but our eyes are on God in humility. We'll spend the rest of the sermon now talking about what that phrase means to have our eyes on God, especially from Jehoshaphat's perspective. What does it mean for this Old Testament king of Judah that his eyes would be on God? And for Jehoshaphat, his eyes on God, first of all, means unity before God. That's an interesting stop. We're talking about humility. How is there unity in this text? Well, 2 Chronicles 20, 13, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. They were unified. Not a single one of them knew what to do. I can kind of see it. They were frightened. Some people were doubting. Some people were resolute, but all were united. All were trusting. All were humble. They could not find the power or the ability to face what they were facing in any man, any woman, or any child. So there's a lesson for us in this, Royal Redeemer. We are unified in humility. We come before God, arms locked, saying, God, there are areas that we just don't know what to do. And I mentioned a couple of those a second ago. But our eyes in humility are on you because we know you know what to do. And we know that you've seen what's about to happen. So we are your people. From a Christian website, and this is kind of an aside, there's no place for you to write this in your outline, but maybe flip it over if this is helpful for you. I found five ways to raise a humble child. Anybody need help in that area? Oh, I do. 
But guess what? It's not just for kids because adults can plug this into their life too. And the first thing is to teach them to be servants. Children can't demonstrate humility if they can't um, first serve somebody. Jesus says it again and again. Those who want to be first in my kingdom will be last. If you want to be first, you will be a servant. You can't be a servant and be arrogant. Number two, to encourage them to admit their mistakes. How good are any of us at this? to admit when they're wrong. You can't demonstrate humility if you can't admit being wrong. The ability to own your mistakes is a real sign of integrity. When our kids face criticism, they must learn to thoughtfully consider that criticism instead of instantly punching back and saying, no, I wasn't wrong. How about this one? Raise a team player, someone who can work with other people. Part of humility is the ability to consider the needs and feelings of other people. Children don't often have this ability naturally, but it needs to be taught to them needs to be taught to me. Number four, encourage mature responses to accomplishments. Boy, in this time and day where every kid gets a trophy and everyone's the MVP, there can be real arrogance in that. When your child does something great, yes, let, help them enjoy the accomplishment and the pat on the back, but help them re- receive it in humility. No one likes an arrogant winner or someone who accomplishes somebody and blows their own horn and says, hey, look at me. And number five, instill a teachable spirit. Boy, we all could use that, right? Our kids need to be willing learners. A humble person recognizes that no matter how much he thinks he knows, that they can still improve. Whenever you teach your kids, be positive. Instill a positivity in the learning process. So five quick things. That's a bit of an aside, but it was helpful for me to read. I thought it would be helpful for all of us. Now back to this idea of Jehoshaphat and keeping his eyes on God. It also means to consume God's word consuming the word of God. What an interesting track this text takes. First, they were united in humility. And then we read, then the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, and he said, he spoke. God's word came to them through a prophet. God's word came to the people and they heard it. We cannot find answers on our own. We can find answers in God's word. Now, we don't have prophets who speak to us, but we have God's word. And in humility and in brokenness and in desperation, we come to this beautiful word and we find God's truth. The best way to approach this book is with humility. Lord, I I really know nothing. This has everything that you think I need, so I will open it and read it. I have to lean on you a little hard this morning because there's those among us who think they have better ideas than this book. They like this section. Oh, Oh, but this section over here, that can't be right in areas of sexuality and gender and where life begins and who's in charge of it and other things that we can argue about. They like the part that they like, but they dislike the part that they don't like and they say that can't be right. Strong word I have to use right now. Arrogance. Really? You know more than this? How is it? I know it's disagreeable. I know it's challenging. Tim Keller says that If you have a God that doesn't confound you, then you don't really have God. God confounds us. We read in his word and we go, oh my goodness, really? Because he's God, he's not us. Tim Keller says, if you've got a God who doesn't confound you, you don't have God. You have yourself with supernatural powers. Of course he's different from us. That's what holiness means. He says things in his word that are challenging. They stretch us. It's uncomfortable, Lord, for me to agree with you on that, but I know you are God, and I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I had to look it up because the number, I I didn't believe it when I heard it on on the radio again recently. NASA 
says that they know of 200 billion galaxies. I, I had to look it up. It's true. NASA knows of 200 billion galaxies, 200,000 million galaxies that we know of. And God spoke them into existence like that. He spoke them into existence and he maintains them, every atom, every molecule. I think I can trust him with this. Even when it's challenging, I come to it in humility. God, if I was God, I would say things should go that way. But I'm not God and I don't know what to do. And my eyes are on you. The next stop is we understand what Jehoshaphat had in mind when his eyes were on God. And we won't spend a lot of time on this, but we follow the text. Physical prostration. This guy got down on the ground, literally, nose to the carpet. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. Again, we won't spend a lot of time on this. I know you know what it means. For me, it means I come before God with total humility, my whole self. I hold nothing back, my body, my soul, my mind, my spirit, my strength. Nothing is held back, God. I don't care what other people think about me. I'm coming to you in as much humility as I can. I've done it before. I haven't done it in a while. I probably should. Nose to the carpet in prayer worshiping him, physical prostration. Another point of Jehoshaphat coming to God with his eyes on him is to worship before the victory. I could have had you underlined before also. That's probably as important as worship. They worshiped before the victory. They still were facing three armies that they were sure would beat them. They should have. They were way overpowered. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Some of the Levites from the Kohites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a loud voice. When we worship, we take the worthiness off of ourselves and put it where it belongs on God. When we worship, we take the worthiness off of ourselves where it doesn't belong, and we put it on the one where it does belong on God, and that is humility. You came to worship this weekend. It's a holiday weekend. Thanks for coming. You could have not, but you understand of taking the worthiness off of yourself and putting it on God. You're worshiping with us online. Thank you. You understand worship, the humility that comes with taking worthiness off of yourself and putting it on God. Psalm 41.1, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. This never works when I do this in a service, but we're going to try it anyway. I'm going to say real loud, clap your hands, and then you're all going to shout your first name. I'm going to yell, uh, clap your hands. You shout your, your first name, and then I'll read the rest. Ready? Clap your hands. Now, some of you clapped. That's okay. <laughs> I said shout your first name. See how these things go? But it doesn't matter. We're having fun, and we're worshiping God. It's not about us. It's about worshiping God. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. That was about the best response we've ever had on anything. <laughs> so here we come. Okay. So now they're facing a battle. Oh, oh sure, he's coming before God in prayer and, for, and fear and humility. But if they get slaughtered, <laughs> but look what God does. Jehoshaphat's eyes on God means that he allows God's power to give the victory. Jehoshaphat said, we can't do it, God. If, if anything good's going to happen, it's got to be you. Long scripture for me to read, but I want you to see how the battle goes. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. 
as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab. These are the enemies and the men of Mount Seir who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the, the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. You see what happened here? God allowed that the enemies of his people would turn on each other and fight each other. The people of Judah didn't even have to fight. God gave them this miraculous victory. It's not unusual in the Bible that the enemies of God would turn and fight on each other. Isaiah writes of the Egyptians fighting the Egyptians. In 1 Samuel 14, about 150 years before Jehoshaphat, Saul and his men assembled and went to the battle, and they found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. God allows for a miraculous victory. And it was about a 1,000 years later that God allows his humble son to give us a miraculous victory. See, the debt that we owe God is overwhelming. We can't pay God what we owe him, and the consequences for our sin is horrible. We are in a pickle, man. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God the Father sent his son, the rescuer, to give us that miraculous victory over sin. He went to the cross to pay the debt that I owe God, that I could never pay, and killed him. But three days later, he's alive again, and we have Easter. We have a living God. So not only do we have a God who gives us miraculous victory through his son, a great sacrifice of a humble servant, sin is paid for, but he's even alive, and even death has been defeated. God is the God of miraculous victory. Well, our final stop is that they celebrated God's power. They celebrated God's power. Lots of worship, lots of celebration in this book of Second Chronicles, <clears throat> and there should be. Led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, and look who did it. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over his enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went up to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. They took all their musical instruments and they celebrated his power. Almost always, without exception, humility leads to gratefulness. Let me lean on you a little hard again here this morning. If you have a trouble with thankfulness or gratefulness, I'm not pointing you out, but you know it about yourself. You think, gosh, I seem like I should be a more thankful person, and I'm not. Let me gently put to you that maybe you should look at humility. Humility almost always leads to gratefulness because humility means, man, I deserve nothing. It's not thinking less of myself than I deserve. It's just being honest. But God has given me so much. And that automatically, you can see the, the line of thought here, automatically leads to thankfulness, to, to gratefulness. My gosh, God, thank you so much. I deserve nothing, but I'm tripping over blessings. This act of humanity, Jehoshaphat is saying, look at what God has done. It wasn't me, it wasn't us. He's reminding the people, remember my prayer? God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The Bible is all about celebrating victories that happened in Cana with Joseph and his, uh, Joshua and his army. Uh, we heard about it two weeks ago. Remember Deborah and her general Barak faced Sisera. They were certainly going to be defeated because Sisera had 900 ironclad chariots, but God gave them a victory and they celebrate it. <clears throat> we know about the celebration that took place with Nehemiah and Ezra when they found the word of God and read it to the people. And tomorrow our country will set aside a day not to celebrate, but to remember, to commemorate, to be grateful for those who literally died so we could be free. 
And I'm serious when I say this. If you have time, if you can do it, set apart a half a day, set apart a whole day just to be thankful, just to be grateful. I know we have Thanksgiving, but I mean, just maybe on your own, a walk in the park, or you sit on your favorite bench, or you do whatever, and you're just humble before God. And you're blown away by how good he's been to you. And in your soul, you rejoice. And in great humility, you're thankful. I wanted to wrap up this morning by pulling in another scripture on humility that's not in Second Chronicles, not that there's anything wrong, but I just love this one so much. Um, from Proverbs 22, the reward for, for humility and fear of the Lord, riches and honor and life. Is, isn't that outstanding? Some next steps for you to think about to work on this week. These are at the bottom of your outline. Let us work hard to a real unity in our shared humility. This church really has some great saints in it, and one of our blessings is humility, I believe. There's, a, there's not much fighting. Oftentimes there's fighting in churches, and that comes from arrogance. Thank you for being humble. Let's continue to work on being united in humility. With great reverence and respect, consume God's word. If I pressed on you, if I ticked you off this morning, I'm sorry, but I'm, a, I'm your pastor and I love you and I got to draw you into, into his word. If you're one of those people that disagrees with God's word on some point, let's come talk. I'm not here calling you out and saying, you're wrong, I'm right. I'm saying we're both wrong. Here's what's right. And let's talk about why you think otherwise on this word. And number three, when you don't know what to do, keep your eyes on God. That's where we live life, right? I, I don't really know. I mean, I think I know what tomorrow's going to be like, but it could be completely different. But God, I've got my eyes on you. Let's pray. Lamb of God, who both by example and precept instructed us to be meek and humble, give us grace in our lives and every thought, every word, every work, every action to imitate your humility. Father, kill in us the whole body of pride. Remind me that all I am, all I have, all I do, all I know is because of your generous gift. Lord, we don't really know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And we celebrate that. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say, amen.